Welcome to Courage in Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by Maxworth Consulting Group. I'm your host, Kyle Worthy. Today's episode kicks off our new series on rural healthcare in America. Rural populations are often medically underserved, and the hospitals and health systems that serve them are struggling to survive. And this subject is personal to me. I was born in a rural community located in northeast corner of Alabama. My family continues to live there, and I have witnessed firsthand the struggle rural Americans face when it comes to accessing healthcare. My experience as a consultant with Maxworth has only deepened my understanding of these challenges. I have found some of these same challenges when visiting clients in rural Utah, Nevada, and Indiana. In this series, I wanted to take a look at the issues that threaten access to care in rural America, as well as the healthcare professionals, government entities, and businesses that are trying to make sure every American has equal access to quality care and life-saving technologies. My hope is to shine a light on some of these challenges and point to leaders who are creatively and courageously finding a way forward in rural health. Part one, access to care. Distance is one of the biggest barriers to healthcare in rural communities. If you live in a remote area, you probably have to travel a long way to access healthcare services, particularly subspecialty services. This can be a significant burden in terms of cost and time away from the workplace. Dr. William Curry, Associate Dean of Rural Programs and Primary Care at UAB, spent 17 years serving as a primary care physician in a medically underserved county in Alabama, so he's no stranger to the issue. Transportation is often a big challenge. So if, if suddenly there's less access and the nearest um, uh, physician and, and hospital is 50, 60 miles away, which is not unusual, that's a major challenge. I mean, the family involved may have one automobile and somebody needs that to get to work. So what do you do when somebody else has a doctor's appointment? It becomes a real, a real challenge. How do, how do they scramble and make that happen? Uh, I had patients who would come to me having to pay for what amounted to private taxi. They would pay more to the, to the taxi service than they paid me for their visit. Um, and so there are all kinds of challenges uh, like that. Um, so what, what happens is people, of course, uh, sort of as they've done in the COVID uh, pandemic, they defer care for uh, health maintenance or wellness uh, purposes. They defer follow-up on their chronic illnesses like diabetes or high blood pressure. Uh, and they wait until they're much sicker from an exacerbation of their COPD or a blood sugar out of control or even a stroke or a heart attack. And so, uh, you know, the outcomes are, are obvious. People uh, have more complications and sometimes higher mortality because of those distances. Add to that that the emergency medical systems in a lot of rural counties are also spread thin and strapped and not, not very well funded. And they have uh, significant distances to cover. Uh, the county where I worked uh, is uh, one of the larger counties geographically in the state. So it's could be 40 miles from, from north to south and maybe 30 miles east to west, something like that. So there's a lot of territory there, and you might have two ambulances uh, in, in a central location that have to serve that. If one of those is out and then there's another call, there's not another one. Many people believe telemedicine is the answer for the transportation problem. Their hope is not unfounded. During the pandemic, telemedicine has been a lifeline in many communities. 
The volume of telemedicine in the U.S. has increased by over 8,000% between April 2019 and April 2020. And the increase was seen across all regions of the country in both rural and urban areas, according to FairHealth's telehealth tracker. One thing that has made the widespread adoption of telemedicine possible was payers' decision to relax restrictions in order to help patients stay on top of their medical needs while remaining socially distant. But it remains to be seen if those restrictions will remain relaxed after the pandemic is over, which is a reminder that while this technology can be a game-changer, it also comes with its own set of challenges. Even during telemedicine's recent expansion, there was still a gap between rural and urban access given the fact that many patients in rural America don't have access to reliable broadband. Broadband internet connections have download speeds of at least 25 megabits per second and upload speeds of 3 megabytes per second. According to the Federal Communications Commission, 39% of rural Americans, approximately 23 million people, do not have internet access that meets this standard. So for 23 million Americans, having to depend on remote care is just as problematic as being physically distant from their health care provider. For Craig Settles, a broadband professional, this problem hits close to home. Six years ago, he suffered a stroke and he believes he would not have survived if he had lived in an area where there was no access to telehealth technologies. So I consider broadband to be um, the Achilles heel of uh, telehealth. And what I mean by that is, um, so maybe six years ago, I had a stroke on a Saturday night uh, I was taken to a hospital nearby, so it wasn't like a time issue, right? But when I got there, um, the neurologist who set up the program, she was in a place um, 30 minutes away, uh, and she, but she had all the, the the technology to be able to see everything they could see at the at the um, at ER, and so as a result. Um, I was able to get treated starting about 20 minutes, 25 minutes after uh, I actually had the stroke. Um, When I was also writing a book at the time um, where I was going with this issue of trying to explain people in terms they can understand, you know, what's the value of broadband? And so, uh, so as I was re- going through recovery and so forth, I realized that that was my end for the book because uh, all of the experiences that I was dealing with as a result of this stroke, I would have been totally um, out of luck if I had been in a rural place where like, as you mentioned, you know, maybe two hours to just get to the door, assuming that someone found me in time. So, um, and that was when I started talking, uh, thinking about telehealth in terms of it's a, um, it's a very serious issue we have in the U.S. where, um, there is the opportunity to have all these medical miracles um, and be at, you know, at your fingertips 
but you cannot get to them because of geography often. Infrastructure is not the only barrier to telehealth's rural populations. The telemedicine gap is as much a socioeconomic problem as it is a physical one. Many rural communities have a largely low-income population. That means, for them, even if broadband exists in their area, they might not be able to afford it. One thing that strains the financial feasibility of broadband is data caps. Settles explains. So data caps have been around since the beginning of time because it's a way that the incumbents can make, when I say incumbents, I'm referring to companies like Time Warner and Comcast and so forth, right? So some other, you know, some number of years ago, um, uh, incumbents realized that, um, you know, everybody has uh, you know, like a usage pattern. They use so much, you know, so much of the technology, but the broadband technology. <clears throat> and so if I cap that, um, I can create uh, like a, a urgency of need because I have the pipe. And so to use this pipe, you get, um, you know, I can get more money out of the average person because I got the only pipe in town. And so, uh, and this has been a ongoing issue for low-income folks, whether they be rural or, or um, uh, urban. During the pandemic, companies got rid of data caps for the same reason payers relaxed restrictions on telemedicine, to encourage social distancing while providing an alternative method to receiving care. But these caps will likely return once the pandemic is over. The good news is that people like Settles are trying to come up with a solution. Settles advocates for the use of public places like libraries as broadband hubs and points of access for telehealth. He has even partnered with healthcare providers to bring blood pressure monitoring into barbershops. We're talking about changing, changing up the process, right? And, and that's what we need because right now we're, we're looking at oh, so many different crises, you know, between the uh, mental health issues and the number or the lack of people there, and professionals in the area, you know, the lack of specialists relative to the need. There needs radical thought to make this work. While creative solutions like Settles are encouraging, it's important to keep in mind that rural communities need more than increased access to telemedicine. Dr. Curry reminds us of the limitations of the technology. Telemedicine is great, but it doesn't really work that well for high-volume primary care. It's good for important um, uh, consultations, uh, say with a cardiologist or somebody in the emergency room who may be having a stroke and so getting a, neurolog uh, a neurologic consultation uh, by telemedicine, those sorts of things, or perhaps helping run an ICU with tele-ICU. So we, we, have, we have a lot of that going on now, and it's great, including at some of our rural hospitals, but it's not the solution for primary care. What we need for primary care is more physicians, In our next episode, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Curry about the need for more primary care physicians in rural America. And we'll also speak to Bill Feinerfrock, founder and director of the National Association of Rural Health Clinics. 
Alan Morgan of the National Rural Health Association, and Brad Herrera, CEO of Lost Rivers, a hospital in a remote Idaho town. Our guests will discuss the importance of finding solutions to the physician shortage in rural America and the programs they're involved in that aim to do just that. Thank you for listening and please join us next time as we take on the issue of physician shortages.